If you've been following along on our live stream, you'll know that we've been in the book of First John. Last week, Jamie McMillan was speaking, bringing God's word to us from First John chapter two. And our theme or title has been sure and certain. Uh, we're living in times that are uncertain and we believe that God has something to say to us that will enable us to be certain, to be secure, uh, to be strong, even when we might feel weak. And so today we're still in chapter two. We're gonna begin in verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter as we think about how we can be secure, how we can be sure and certain because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And we end there giving thanks to God for his word to us today. There's a guy called Karl Power, and he's famous for being an imposter. He managed to worm his way into some great situations. You may have seen the Man United team photo uh, from their game in the Champions League in Munich in 2001, where there's just this random guy wearing a white Man United away kit standing in the team photo on the pitch before the match beside Andy Cole, Nicky Butt, Fabian Bartes, and there's just this random guy, Carl Parr, who hid in the stadium, hid at the side of the pitch. He'd observed all the protocols and observed all that went on before the match. They'd done the team had done the warm-up and he knew that before the match they would get the team photo. And just at that moment he appeared and stood in the team photo. Outwardly he appeared to fit in. He had the kit on, he looked apart, but if he'd stayed on the pitch for very long, you would have realized he's not actually a professional footballer. It wasn't just that. In the same kind of period of time, he headed out to bat for England 
at Headingley with the full cricket whites on and a cricket bat, and it was only when he took his helmet off that people realized, hey, he, he's not actually an England cricketer. In 2002, he was in center court at Wimbledon, hitting tennis balls back and forward with a friend. And I think it was in the same year, in 2002, that he ended up on the podium at the British Grand Prix. He, he had the full, you know, uh, racing gear on and managed to get onto the podium before the actual winner. For a period of time, it looked like he was real. It looked like he was a genuine article. But in time, he was fake. If you're familiar with actual professional sports people, if you're familiar with the level of competency and level of skill it takes to play tennis at Wimbledon or to drive a Grand Prix car or to drive in a Grand Prix, to drive a Formula One car, to play football in the Champions League, it'll not be too hard to spot a fake. If you are confident in the truth, you'll be able to spot a fake. The fake never lasts too long and has to go. And in this letter that John writes to the church that he loves so much and has so much pastoral concern for, he's eager to reassure them of their place in the team photo. He's writing to say to them, you belong. You should be here. There's a place for you in the church. He wants to give them God's eyes to see themselves. He wants them to see themselves through God's eyes, but he wants to also give them eyes to see imposters, to see the marks of fake. He wants them to see this is authentic, you're authentic, you belong, you're real. And so just in, in this section of John chapter 2, there are two discernible tests that we can apply to our own lives and apply to others if we want to know, am I actually a believer? Am I a Christian? Do I belong? Am I in the kingdom or not? Am I in or out? There is no sitting on the fence here. We are, we are drawn off the fence and into one side or another, disciple or not a disciple, genuine or fake, as a result of the tests that are applied by Scripture to us. In John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, there's an abide test, an abide test. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. For a short period of time, there were people in the church who looked as though they were disciples. They sang the songs. They attended the prayer meetings. They talked competently in the small group in the Bible study, and they were able to have opinions about theology and opinions about faith and opinions about Jesus. They maybe even occupied positions of leadership, positions of responsibility. They drank the coffee beforehand. They could say the right words in the right context, and, and it seemed as though they were just the same as us. They wore similar clothes. There were points of overlap and similarity between what was genuine and what was fake. And initially, it was hard to discern, I read this week, you know, Satan was an angel, Judas was an apostle, but they went out. There was a point in time where there was commonality, where there was similarity, but they departed. They left, they went away. So how can these believers that John writes to, how can they be sure? How can they be certain that they are in 
the kingdom? How can they know? How can we know that we're true disciples? Is there an airport security scanner that we can pass through? Beep. That will identify something that says, no, you're not actually a true disciple because there's something in you that identifies that you, you, you can't pass? Is there some kind of test? Can we, can we hold ourselves up to the light like a banknote to see the watermark, to see if we're genuine or fake? Is there a breath test that you can do? Can you just blow into this? And, and it will, you know, there'll be a light or a color that will tell you whether you are a disciple or not. Can we twist a cotton bud in our nose? Or can we, you know, do some kind of swab from the back of our throat? in a testing center to see if we're positive or, or negative? And would you go? Would you, would you go and sit in the queue if there was a test to find out, am I a Christian or not? Would you like to know without any doubt that you actually are a believer? Do you want to be sure and certain that you're in the kingdom? Do you want to be sure and certain that you belong to Jesus? It's possible. You'll know that I'm not often given to quoting the Westminster Confession of Faith, but there's some uh, new elders about who have memorized it, and so just to encourage them, I thought I would quote the Westminster <laughs> Confession of Faith this morning. Elaine Craig will be absolutely delighted. I know she has it memorized. But um, chapter 18, paragraph one says this, those who truly believe on the Lord Jesus love him sincerely, and strive to live in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's possible to be sure and certain in this life that you are a Christian. You, you don't have to live your life wondering, am I in or out? There's an abiding test. Do you remain? Do you have a desire to remain in the body of Christ, in the church? One of the tests. It's possible in this life. Assurance of salvation is available to us. You, you don't need to live with uncertainty in this area. If you're living with uncertainty, there's a way to be sure. There's no reason to be foggy or unclear about your spiritual condition. You can be sure. John says that one of the tests to apply is that people, if people depart the church and walk away, it's evidence that they never truly belong to the church in the first place. You might think that's really harsh. Verse 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Now, John doesn't have in mind here people who left Carmoney Church and went to the vineyard. He, he doesn't have in mind people who, you know, left Ballyhenry and went to Glenabbey or, you know, the kind of moving around churches that happens all the time in, in Northern Ireland. That, that's not what he's talking about here. He means people who leave the church and don't connect to any other Christian fellowship. People who depart the church people who stopped meeting together even when it was possible to meet together, people who left the church and have no desire or appetite or pattern or habit of connecting with other believers. You know people like this. 
and so do I. And we bump into them, and it's fine for a period of time, there's a bit of conversation, and then if, if the topic of church comes up, they're very quick to say, you know, I'm, like, I'm still a Christian, I, I, still, I still pray and all. I just, I just like, just church, no, I, I, my daughter plays hockey on a Sunday, and I, I just don't, I don't see this the way things are to me. I just don't have time. I'm really busy. My work's really demanding. And actually, Sunday morning or Sunday evening is the only time we we get together as a family. And I don't get me wrong. I, I still believe in all that, but I just I just don't have time for church at the minute. I'm still a Christian, but I don't have time for church. Well, we might think that, but a test. A biblical, scriptural test of genuine Christianity is that we remain in the body. They went out from us. They departed. When you are a Christian, you love to grow. You grow to, you grow to love what Jesus loves. You grow to hate what Jesus hates. According to Scripture, nothing will stop you from connecting to a local body, a local worshiping community, a, a local church, if you are a genuine Christian, you will forgive those who have wronged you. You will put up with worship styles that are not your preference so that you can belong. You'll commit to being in a group with people who think differently than you politically. You'll swallow your pride when you're overlooked for positions of leadership and responsibility and service. You'll move on. You'll move on in your faith and you'll grow and you'll develop in your relationship with Jesus Christ in the body of Christ, even when decisions are made regarding property or finance that you disagree with. You will move on from it. You will forgive others. You will be able to get over stuff and continue to commit to the local church because you love Jesus and Jesus loves the church. And he creates within you an appetite to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. Belonging to the body of Christ matters more to you than all the times you've been hurt. Matters more to you than all the times you've been overlooked or wronged. Matters more to you than the worship style. Matters more to you than the decisions that have been taken that you don't particularly disagree with. You'll want to remain. It's the abide test if you can depart the church over a personal squabble or over an issue of, you know, personal time management and not make any attempt to be part of a local fellowship, then the Bible places a huge question mark over the genuineness of your faith. If they had been of us, they would have continued. God's word, not mine. Let me ask you, do you plan to continue? Do you plan to continue? We're, we're living in difficult days when it's not actually possible to be together. I want to caution you in love with genuine concern not to establish fixed patterns that make it difficult for you to return to worship on a Sunday in the morning or, or the evening when, when you typically came to worship. Don't get into habits that, that are going to make it really difficult for you to come back to worship when it's possible to be in the building don't get too complacent. Don't grow to love being absent from the place of worship on Sundays. 
Pray earnestly for the day when we can return and be together. We want reality, not virtual reality. We want to be in person, not looking at a screen. Determine to be here when, when you can be here. The lie that our enemy wants us to believe is that it's better to be outside the church, that it's better to disconnect from the body of Christ, that life is found outside of fellowship with Jesus and outside of fellowship with God's people. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. It seems that John is aware of a, a smugness that exists outside the church, people who once worshipped and have now departed the church, and they feel, well, I did that Jesus thing, I did the church thing, but I'm way more spiritual now. And you're really naive little Christians trotting off to church at 11.30 on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you still... You still doing that church thing? Seriously? Catch a grip. There's a patronizing smugness outside the church. John is aware that there are people who used to be part of the local church and they've departed and now they're looking down their noses at these people who continue to gather for worship on the Lord's day. These imposters have new ideas. They deny this, the necessity of obedience to Christ. They deny the need for the cross. They deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. They claim deeper spiritual insight apart from Christ. They are anti-Christ, opposed to him. And so there's, there's an abide test. Do you desire fellowship with Jesus and his followers? Is it a priority above other priorities in your life to gather together with the people of God? Do not give up the habit of meeting together as some do. They went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. Genuine believers abide, imposters abandon. So check your own heart. It's why it's here in Scripture. It's why it's here in the Bible to, to test the genuineness of your faith so that you can be sure that you belong. Do you long to be back in worship? Do you long to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ? There's an abiding test in, in 1 John chapter 2. There's an abiding test, and then secondly, there's, a, there's an anointing test. Verse 27, if you have a Bible open there, you can look at it yourself. The anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just uh, as it has taught you, abide in him. I discovered the words of a hymn this week as I was looking through this passage, and it was brilliant. And I wrote it in my own prayer journal because I, I found it really helpful. And the words of the hymn were this, in all the tensions of my life, between my faith and doubt, let your spirit give me hope, sustain me, Lead me out. There's a work of the Holy Spirit that sustains us in all the tensions of life. There's a work of the Holy Spirit that not only sustains us, but leads us. There's an inner work, an inner anointing of the Holy Spirit that will bring us through all things. The anointing, anointing that John speaks of is past tense. You received. The anointing you received, but it has a present power. 
It's not just this one-off experience that has no impact and it was a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling at the point of conversion, but it doesn't have any impact now. John speaks of a past tense work of the Holy Spirit you received, and then he says, abides in you. The anointing by the Holy Spirit happens to every person who comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. At that moment, the Holy Spirit is poured into your life and you need to continue, go on being filled, go on being filled by his spirit. We receive the anointing as a way that God marks us out as people who belong to him. At the point of our conversion, when we surrender to Jesus Christ, God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's a sign and seal of his possession of us. We belong to Jesus. Anointing is a work of God to give us assurance that we are not our own, that there's an inner work of the Holy Spirit to remind us that our lives have been bought at a price, that the cross was effective. We can be sure and certain of our place in the family because the Holy Spirit alerts us to the fact that we've been adopted into the family of God, that God is our Father. There's an inner work of the Holy Spirit There's an anointing. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see that it wasn't just kings who were anointed. It wasn't just ceremonial and and religious and, and a setting aside, although it was all of those things. Anointing was a really practical thing. It was an agricultural thing that shepherds did to their sheep. It was a practical form of protection that the shepherds would anoint their sheep with oil Shepherds would anoint the sheep with oil so that bugs and flies and insects couldn't land on their fur or on their, or their wool and, and stick and stay. That, that insects couldn't, you know, burrow their way into the flesh of the sheep and bring infection or, or even death. Flies or bugs or lice would slip off because the sheep had been anointed with oil. It was protection, it was blessing. They couldn't penetrate to cause trouble for a sheep. Anointing is a sign of care. Somebody anointed the sheep. The sheep did not anoint themselves. It was outside pouring. It was outside protection, outside blessing. Their, their wool became oily because they had a shepherd who cared for them and didn't want them to experience infection wanted them to experience blessing and fullness of life. The Lord is my shepherd. He anoints my head with oil. Protection from outside. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is empowering. This act of God is evidence that he cares for you. He wants to bless you with his spirit. He wants to protect you from infection from destruction. This anointing is an indication of love. And John reminds the church that they have been anointed. The point of their conversion, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He he will protect them, not from lice, but from lies, from, from falsehood, from things that would cause them harm or destruction. The Holy Spirit will remind them of everything that Jesus has taught them will bring to mind the truth of the gospel. 
Holy Spirit sets them apart as a people belonging to God and, and says, you belong. You have a father. The Spirit will alert them to the eternal, lasting, enduring truth of Scripture. In the face of new false teaching that's springing up that they'd never heard of before and question the identity of Jesus Christ and they start to get unnerved and the Holy Spirit will assure them and testify within them that Jesus is was and will be. Are you hopeless about the future? Do you look at your future and you think, oh, this is just going nowhere? As a Christian, the Holy Spirit will make sure that those thoughts have no resting place. That those hopeless thoughts that flash across your mind and my mind about the future will not last because the Holy Spirit anointing within you will remind you that all things work together for good for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. And so yes, there will be things that will land on us, but they will not stay because the Holy Spirit will awaken us to the truth. Do you despair about past sin? Do the things that you have said and done Actions in your life that horrify you flash across your mind and you think there is there's no chance of eternity with God for me. The Holy Spirit will ensure that those things don't stick to you because he will awaken you and alert you to the fact the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Do you have doubts about the identity of Jesus? Do you think, well, why is Jesus so special? What about Buddha or Muhammad or you start to question the identity of Jesus Christ. Well, the Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you to believe in Jesus Christ and awaken your senses to the fact that no one who denies the Son has the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what the Holy Spirit anointing does. He awakens you to truth. He, he banishes lies. He enables you to be hopeful instead of hopeless. He enables you to be free of sin because he makes you aware of what the cross has achieved. Holy Spirit anointing awakens us to our identity and our security and the certainty of the hope that we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a benefit and blessing. He anoints your head with oil. The Lord is my shepherd. The lies don't stick. The hopelessness doesn't remain. I remember doing uh, abseiling as a teenager. It was the first time I'd ever abseiled. It was at a school fair, and the army had produced this huge tower in our playground. And I stood in the queue for about 20 minutes to get my go, and I'm up at the top of this scaffolding, and uh, peering over the edge, it looked really, really high, and I was trying to make conversations to kill time with the soldier who was fastening the carabiner to the rope that I was about to you know, hold on to to step off the edge. And I said to the soldier, have you been doing this for long? And he said, it's my first day. I was like, no, that's not what I want to hear right now. I said, you know, plummet off the edge here. It's my first day. It was far from reassuring. I think he was making fun of me. He'd been doing it for a while. But, but I, I was hoping to place my trust in someone who was a little bit more experienced. In verses 24 and 25 of chapter 2, 1 John, he says, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us 
eternal life. Do you remember how this letter began, the opening verses? That which was from the beginning, which we have seen and heard, which we have touched with our own hands. There's an eternal, lasting nature to the person of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit awakens us and alerts us to the fact that Jesus has endured all things, that Jesus remains, that Jesus abides with us. The eternal Spirit of God is a blessing to us in the temporary troubles of this life. We are protected. The Holy Spirit cares for you. The Holy Spirit is evidence of God's protection and love. He is at work to help us call to mind all of the resources that are at our disposal as a result of relationship with the Father. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The work of the Spirit leads us into all truth. We go more deeply into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No fear of future. No concern about the past. No situation that's going to leave you resourceless because you have the person of Jesus with you and the Holy Spirit anointing awakens you to everything that's available to you through Jesus. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Verse 27. The Holy Spirit will prevent false ideas from finding a resting place in your mind and in your heart. He will cultivate a love for truth that will expose error, that will help you to see what is wrong. The Holy Spirit will banish wrong thoughts about yourself, wrong thoughts about other people, wrong thoughts about God will be chased from you. False teaching about the kind of way that a Christian should live will not be accepted because of the anointing. You won't tolerate false ideas about Christian behavior. The Holy Spirit will awaken you and alert you to Scripture to say, this then is how we should live. Everyone who claims to live in him should walk as Jesus did. There'll be an intolerance for sin. We'll, we'll hate what Jesus hates. We'll love what Jesus loves. We'll want to be part of the church. Things will slide from your heart and mind because you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You're blessed. You're protected. You're cared for because of him. The good shepherd who poured out his spirit on you as a mark of your belonging to him will take care of you. He anoints my head with oil. My prayer is that in all the pressures and all the struggles and all the uncertainties of life right now, you will look at your life and, and, and place it under this abiding test. Have I got an appetite to be part of the local church? Am I going to make it a priority to be in worship when it's possible to be in worship? You also place your life under this anointing test. Are the things and the accusations sticking or is the Holy Spirit awakening me to the truth of Scripture, awakening me to the person of Jesus Christ who lives in me. May you know, may you know his presence and power at work in your life. Why don't you take some time this week to read over chapter two of First John. Read over chapter two and, and place yourself under these tests. It is possible in this life to be sure and certain of your position with Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. 
Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you make it plain that we are yours. We thank you that you care for us so much to bless us by your spirit. We thank you that you care for us so much that you want to protect us from harm and wrong. We thank you that you've been doing this from the beginning of time. Help us, Lord God, to truly believe on the Lord Jesus, to love him sincerely, to strive to live in all good conscience before him, so that in this life we will certainly be assured that we are in a state of grace and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. May that be our reality. May we know your spirit at work in our lives. And may we enjoy fellowship with one another in the days that are ahead. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. Let's worship God.